Okay, hello everyone. Uh, welcome to the second episode of Mobius Binary's technical podcast series. My name's Graham. Uh, I will be um, hosting today's discussion. Today with me we have Rory, one of our security analysts, and he's going to be talking to us about Mimikatz. So, hey Rory, how are you doing today? Hey Graham. Oh, great. Thanks for you, man. Cool. Well, Rory, tell us tell us about Mimikatz. Uh, what is it? Okay, um, in its simplest form, Mimikatz is basically just this open source software um, that allows the user um, who has sort of root authentication to expose credentials like Kerberos tickets or um, login passwords on Windows machines. And that's it in its simplest form. Okay, so so where, where and what do you use it for? Well, essentially, you would use it for once you've um, breached the network and you've got credentials for a machine. Um, those have to be administrative credentials for that for that machine, and you want to sort of laterally migrate within the network. So you want to grab some service granting tickets or login passwords and start something like a password spray or try to get onto the domain controller um, and try escalate privilege, um, something along those lines. So you're looking uh, once you're internally on a network um, and you want to uh, escalate privilege. Okay, so I mean, it sounds pretty much like a tool that you'd, you'd use in almost any and every penetration testing exercise. Uh, yes, yeah, um, uh, internal tests. Uh, you know, it's not something you're going to use that often with an external test or a web application test, but within an internal test of a network, yes, definitely you would use it every time. And that's what makes it so popular. Okay. Now, uh, are there any sort of challenges or, or shortcomings of using this in your testing? Well, I would say there's two main shortcomings. Uh, the first is it does require um, elevated privilege on the device that you run it. Um, so you have to beat things like the uh, UAC from PowerShell if you're executing from a PowerShell script, or you have to run as administrator with the binary application. Um, so that's the first problem. You first have to get the, those administrative credentials for the local system. And then the second thing would be that because it's of its wide use, um, it's detected by, in its in its base form, it will be detected by basically every single antivirus and EDR that there is out there. So those are the main two two problems. The first problem, there's sort of no way around it. Um, you're going to have to elevate privilege somehow. But the second problem is kind of what we'll chat a bit about today, bypassing antivirus and, and EDR. Okay, let's go down that, that rabbit hole. So antivirus is obviously what... what most corporates and organizations have have running to you know detect malicious activity so tell me what what you know it picks up uh, mimikatz or yeah, tell me tell me what you want to talk about okay cool so <laughs> i would start off by saying there's basically two ways in which um antiviruses or edrs um, are able to detect malicious programs or scripts the first is probably the most basic and what i'll run you through and that's signature detection it's more of a static type of detection um, and then you you get a separate type of detection that's more dynamic, which is when the program makes certain calls to the Windows API. When it does that, the process gets flagged and it starts getting interpreted by the antivirus for um, sandboxing sort of cloud software or whatever you're running there. So let's let's talk a bit about uh, signatures and sort of what they are and how how to obfuscate yourself. So essentially, while you, uh, any tool that you're going to run on an engagement you should know what exactly what it's doing. And 
in order to do that, you, you should have compiled it yourself from the source code. Uh, there's many reasons for this. The first one would be obviously if if you're running some script that you haven't really uh, looked into what it does, you can very easily put your client in danger or yourself. Someone might have written a backdoor into the script, or um, it might just cause a, um, a, a sort of a kernel error or something like that that can that can take down the uh, the machine you're testing. And if you're testing on a live environment, that can be very bad for the client. So you need to warn them of these things and of course to warn them you have to understand what the program does so let's talk a bit about signatures for a bit uh, the signatures within a program it's very simple it's it's strings that um, the antivirus uh, essentially looks out for and because the mimikatz program itself is so widely used um, there's various strings within the program that every AV looks into. These could be the, the word itself, Mimikatz, in a, um, a function name or a, a comment. Um, it can also look for the functions within Mimikatz, like secure LSA, login passwords, LSA dump, those type of functions. On top of that, it can also be on the licensing information within the script. So how, how it licenses itself to person that goes by gentle kiwi for example and all those sort of things once the program's compiled and it starts running the antivirus will start looking at it and determining oh hey i recognize this string um it's it's got the term mimikatz in this therefore this program must be obviously running mimikatz i'm going to immediately block it and quarantine it and boom there you go you've been detected and you, you've lost your program you now put on the machine so these are things that when you're um, compiling the program from its source code that you want to be able to change. So very simply, the first thing that you'd want to do when obfuscating um, software like this would be creating a little script for yourself, um, said functions quite nice, or just using um, the uh, find and replace option within say a tool like Visual Studio that you're using to compile the program. So you're going to look for things like um, Mimikatz, and then you're going to replace it with your own type of word. Um, a lot of people, it's it's kind of a more lazy way, and it, it it worked before, but it's not working so much now, is they wouldn't replace the entire name. They would just capitalize like every second or every third letter. And of course, that obfuscates a hash. So if it's doing some sort of hash correlation and then identifying the signature via hash correlation, it, it, just changing one character from a lowercase to an uppercase uh, would be able to obfuscate that string entirely. But now, as antivirus software has improved over the years, they're now looking for things like that. So they have multiple signatures and multiple variations of this. So it's best practice to actually change the entire string, not just capitalize it. So it, this takes a lot of effort in big programs like, well, when I say big programs, uh, it's a couple of megs. But when you look at the code itself, there's thousands and thousands of lines of code so you just got to take it one piece by piece uh, and test it. And what I mean by test it is the, the easiest way to explain this is you would compile the program into an executable. Then what you would do is you would do something like the head function and split that program. So for example, I now have a full Mimikatz program. I split it in half. It becomes uh, part one and part two. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass part one onto the machine. I'm going to see if any antivirus flags it. If it doesn't flag it, I know that I've obfuscated the signature enough within that part, and I'll try to place the second part. 
second part, if it triggers, I'm going to cut it in half again and so on and so forth. So you just keep cutting it up into smaller pieces until you can identify which pieces hold that signature. Then what you do is you, you would use a tool like Hex Editor to um, identify where within your binary file the, um, the signature is shown. So if you have very small binary files, you're going to have very small amounts of hex to go through. Once you find it, you can then go back to your original source code and then change it within that source code. For this purpose, specifically on Windows Defender, there's actually a rather nice tool that's um, that's out and about. It's essentially what it does is it's called Defender Check, and what it does is it automates this procedure for you. It takes the entire um, exe, well, executable, and divides it up into thousands of little part files, and then passes them onto um, the machine to check with. Defender itself to make sure that there's no signatures flagged within that. So there's automated tools like that, but I found sometimes they're slightly out of date. So it might just be better to spend the time and do it yourself. And once you've done all of this and obfuscated uh, your signature enough, you can pass the, the program through a antivirus check that'll check it against multiple antiviruses. I would recommend no redistribute. The reason for this is if you've now just spent the good part of a day um, obfuscating your, your signatures within some source code and you pass it off onto a tool um, that does redistribute its, its findings to uh, all the antiviruses, you could find your new signatures being flagged as well. So you want to uh, limit that. Other than that, it, it, that's where kind of it starts getting more tedious and more uh, sort of in-depth is once you've uh, now being able to pass this file onto a, a desktop and it's not flagging, you now have to make sure that it doesn't flag with any of the functions that are run. So once a function's run, uh, that is where it starts calling the Windows API, and that's where uh, you will get caught in two ways. One, the function might have not been found on the initial pass-through, and now once you run it, um, it will get found. And then second, once it makes the call to the Windows API, common um, exploitable functions within that API, it, it, the process itself will get flagged. And we'll talk a bit about, more about how you can obfuscate that in, just now. So the best thing to do is to limit the amount of functions that the program runs and remove all unnecessary functions. In the terms of the latest Mimikatz uh, that I created the other day uh, that we've aptly named Mobicats, um, I've removed a lot of the functions and I've replaced the name of several of the most common functions. For example, your privilege debug is no longer privilege debug. It's been changed to random set of characters. And uh, this, this allows for, again, greater obfuscation. I've removed all the ASCII um, characters from within, well, the, the ASCII art characters from within the program. As I noticed, once you start running certain functions and they come with a nice little piece of ASCII art, that art is actually flagged. Uh, by the signature detection. And again, uh, you, you get caught. But probably the most popular function with Mimikatz is secure LSA with the sub-function of login passwords. So both of those functions need to be changed um, as they also flag most antiviruses. You can go a bit further on this and you can actually change most of the folder structure. Um, you'll notice when looking at source code, the developers will um, name functions and, and files in a certain certain way. 
Um, so you can also just look for the sort of specific naming convention to that folder or function and globally change it, and you shouldn't run into any problems. For example, in MobyCats, um, there's a call uh, um, a folder uh, that that starts with khul, which is um, uh, just a little variable function name that the developer likes to call all their fun start all their functions with. So a nice little way to obfuscate that is just change that khul to something else. Um, you you could add in some some other random letters in between it, and it once you globally change it, as long as all the calls towards those functions have been changed, you shouldn't run into any problems. And this can again can be done with uh, find and replace on Visual Studio or something like a set script in Bash. Relatively simple. And just with that, you'll be able to obfuscate most antiviruses and majority of the real-time protection and cloud protection on um, Windows Defender antivirus. And in, in most cases, that, that's enough. But um, again, as I spoke about earlier, you, you want to start looking at things like obfuscating those API calls within, um, within the program towards the, the Windows API. And there's various methods of doing this, and they go into uh, varying degrees of detail. Probably one of my favorite ones is um, hollowing out of a process. So what you can do is you can take a trusted Windows process, hollow it out, place your code into that, and then obfuscate it in that sort of way. But there's there's a lot of cool other ways to do this. And I personally have seen two different methodologies when it comes to this sort of obfuscation. The first one is uh, kind of what we talked about now, creating an EXE and obfuscating the signatures within that EXE. But a lot of people actually prefer to create to create this somewhat polymorphic um, PowerShell script that does the same thing. So you would use something like uh, PowerUp to create the call, and then you would place the, the Mimikatz script within memory. Of course, the script would be encrypted. You would then decrypt it straight out of memory and execute the functions. This allows for bypassing of placing it onto the uh, the hard drive, and again stopping that sort of detection. Um, but again, uh, you're still going to be calling similar API functions. So even though your code itself is obfuscated, um, once it calls the API function, uh, you can still be seen. So a lot of these these Windows API functions can also be you uh, accessed via separate libraries. Um, so there's a good few articles on which which libraries sort of have similar similar calls. I know the system library is one of them, but yeah, sure. Uh, Rory, yeah, thanks for that um, really detailed explanation around uh, signatures and Windows API calls. So tell me, um, f first question is, is we're talking about Mimikatz, but uh, I assume that this is uh, something that we could do for, for any other program, firstly. And then, and then second question is, uh, what was your final result? Okay, cool. So yes, this, this, is ba this basic logic can be applied to, to any program. Um, it's it's kind of similar to what people use when they create things like aimbots for um, uh, or hacks for games. Um, but yes, it works on any sort of program. You obfuscate your signature, obfuscate the calls, and in most cases, you'll bypass any sort of any non-intent driven EDR or antivirus. The, the intent driven ones where they create a profile for a user and then the minute that user deviates, it starts creating notifications. That sort of thing would still catch you. But in terms of any sort of signature identification and um, 
API call identification flagging, you, you would bypass that. So the version of Mimikatz that that I created, Mimikatz, uh, it now passes uh, uh, only gets caught about 10% of the time, and totally bypasses uh, Windows Defender with real-time protection and cloud-delivered uh, protection on. And that was basically done in, in about a day with just signature obfuscation and a little bit of tricks on the API calls. Rory, thanks for that. I think that's about uh, all the time we have for today. A really interesting uh, technical discussion, um, and I'm sure our listeners are, are really going to enjoy um, this second episode in our technical series. Uh, to those of you out there, if uh, if you enjoyed uh, what Rory had to say and you want to to interact with us, uh, you're welcome to to email us on info at mobiusbinary.com or visit our website www.mobiusbinary.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We would love to engage with you, and we would you know love to share ideas with you. So be in touch. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye.